and uh, turning our attention today to uh, prayer. And as we do so, we're kind of entering into the last and final phase of this long prayer series. If you're, if you're new here or haven't been part of it, don't worry, I'll catch you all up really quickly into where we've been. Um, but we're, we're finishing off in the next five, six weeks here, this long prayer series. And we're focusing in at the very end here on Jesus' prayer. His, the Lord's prayer that he taught his disciples to pray and the various kind of building blocks. And today we're going to start out like Jesus did in his prayer on the prayer of praise. So what, what does that feel like? Uh, and so uh, as we do so, uh, kind of here, here's some of the terrain that we've covered so far. I started off the whole thing asking you to think about what it feels like to turn your neediness into praying. I mean, what it is that you need, the things that you, are, that you care about, the things in your life, is whatever it is in, in a very uncomplicated way, ask God for help. Turn all of those uh, feelings of anxiety and need into prayer, and that's where we began. So if you began doing that or if you began experiencing that as a while back in the fall, but that's, that's the first movement. The second movement I ask you to do is to start praying the Psalms. Pray, um, read five Psalms a day, learn what it is to find the little piece of each Psalm or, or one little Psalm that's really hitting you in your heart and learn how to turn your own emotions and experiences into prayer uh, from the Psalms. We've just got done with a, a few sermons on learning to prepare ourselves and then how to make connection with God. So those are all online if you've missed all of that. But if you've begun sort of actually taking some time to, to uh, start preparing your hearts for prayer as you enter in, if you've begun asking God to help you pray, if you've been taking some deep breaths and learning how to meditate and learning what it feels like to connect with God, then you're on the right track. Uh, all these things are things that hopefully you've been developing over the course of this series. And my hope is here isn't just a massive life change, even though that would be awesome if you were like became a world-renowned prayer. That's awesome if that happens. But if that doesn't happen, I've just been interested in you growing a little bit, taking a little step forward in praying. Uh, and for me, that's what's happened to me. I haven't taken leaps and bounds forward, even though I've been researching and preaching this. But I have grown a little bit, and I know that some of you have as well, too. So I hope that's happening inside of you. Uh, but finally, we're going to end up here in this little section on Jesus' prayer and learning to master Jesus' prayer. And uh, some of us may know it by heart. A lot of people who grew up in church kind of memorize the prayer. Our Father, you're in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me, I've sinned. Help me forgive others who sinned against me. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For many people, it's kind of rote. Some people might be new, haven't heard it before. But that's when Jesus' disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. This is the, the framework that he gave them. And so uh, if you walk away from the next five or six sermons, learning a little bit more how to pray this prayer and getting the most out of this little prayer that Jesus taught us, we'll be doing good. So that's where we've been. In case you've also been interesting, these are the psalms that I've preached on since September. Actually, it feels like there should be more of them. But uh, here we are, our handful of psalms, which will grow in the next six weeks by six. So this week, we're talking about praise. And it's the beginning of Jesus' building blocks of prayer. And, and when I talk about building blocks, I mean, this, we do want to, in the end, make a connection with God, have a sense of him ministering to our spirit, entering that place where we're actually getting messages from him and receiving his love and all of that. But in a crucial aspect of that is 
us saying things, us praying things, taking the things that, are, that we're feeling, taking the things that we care about and lifting them up into the loving light of Jesus, into the love of God. And, that, and we do end up saying lots of things. And uh, if, if you're simple praying, if you're like just um, give, giving what's ever on your heart, stream of consciousness, that's good enough. God loves that and knows that. But he asks us, and Jesus gives us the framework to say, he, um, he, Jesus, or God asks us to, to learn to, to build up our words in a way uh, that, that lifts up what we care about into his, in his arms. So there are building blocks we can, we can learn. And like this Lego um, sculpture here, our prayers can be a little more than just hodgepodge together. They can actually learn to become sort of a bit stronger uh, expressive, beautiful, in a way that uh, not only changes us, but frees us in our own sort of in- emotional anxiety. So anyway, I'll, I'm going to get into this today. Um, when we, we think of Jesus's prayer, you know, here, here's a beautiful kind of rendition of, of his prayer throughout the tree here. There's all those words that I just spoke. When we think of Jesus's prayer, it's less like each one is a building block, and more like each one is a drawer full of building blocks. I mean, Jesus, when he gives the Lord's Prayer, it's like he gave us this chest of drawers, uh, and each little phrase is kind of a drawer that we pull out. And inside, he's collected up the Psalms and many different kinds of Psalms. It's not perfect. You know, you, can't, you probably couldn't go through all the Psalms with a pair of scissors and cut them all out and put them in this chest of drawers, but it's pretty close. Jesus pretty much sums up the extent of 150 psalms, all the little pieces, and collects them into these drawers and teaches us at the beginning of our prayers, our Father who are in heaven. We open that drawer, and inside there's tons of psalms, kind of psalm praises that we get. And so as we do so, I'm going to teach us a little bit how to use this chest of drawers. You can memorize Jesus's prayer, that's a good place to begin, but then you begin to get on the inside and really see what's there. So we begin with praise. Uh, our Father, who art in heaven, you're in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, and I was thinking about this, how to open up, up Jesus' first part of his prayer, this praise section. And it's like, um, our Father, who art in heaven, I like this, but our Father is in heaven is, is an interesting way. Our Father is in heaven. This is not a, a thank God that God is distant. Thank God he's somewhere near Saturn and not far and far away. And this is like Father in heaven is a way to say uh, that God is the creator. He's the one who's created all heaven and earth and he's the Lord over it all. And he's our Father. He's the one who we call uh, our, uh, who, whose, whose offspring we are. Um, and here's what happens with, with, with this kind of praise. It kind of, kind of go through our mind. It can kind of be wrote, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. I mean, what does that mean? Like, what does it feel like to actually be on the inside of those words and to pray them? And, you know, our Father in heaven, this is a, this is a prayer of praise, a prayer of uh, hallowed be your name is a way to say your character is awesome. Uh, if you look all through the Psalms, we praise his name, that phrase over and over again, his name, his name is great, his name is good. It means his character. It's another way of saying his, his character, his actions, the who he is. Um, and as we do so, sometimes we, we, we don't get on the inside of this. And so uh, our Father who's in heaven, 
holy is your name, we tend to be able to praise, have that experience where we begin forgetting about ourselves and adoring God for who he is. We oftentimes do that when life is going well. It's really easy to do that when things are going, well, you're getting what you want, your life is going as you expect, there's no road bumps. I can sit down 10 out of 10 days, good days, and praise. But when things start going poorly or when the dissonance of life hits, that's the hardest thing to do, to turn your heart to praise. You want to be angry, you want to be upset, and the only thing that's in front of your eyes is what's wrong with the world. And so, uh, as we learn to get into this, we recognize that praise is, is, is a difficult thing to do. And as we do so, as we begin losing sight of ourselves, adoring God's majesty, adoring his, I use this word this week, largesse. It's a weird word. I like it. His, his largesse. As we begin adoring him in that way and losing ourselves, sometimes we can also catch ourselves being cynical and kind of mocking, mocking people or mocking others who are kind of like losing themselves. Because what, what praise is about is, is like the opposite of pride. If we have pride in our heart, if we think things are going, we've got life under control, if we, if we don't need God, if we don't feel that sense, when we turn our heart to praise, we can feel these little inklings of mocking. And, no, oh, I don't really need that. And so to get into praise, to get inside this prayer, we need truly to understand how dependent we are on God and we need to learn how it is to turn our attention to his beauty. Uh, and so Jesus' prayer starts with it. Um, what's interesting too, and I'll just, a little side tangent here to teach us about praise. Um, Jesus' Jesus's prayer starts with praise. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. If, if you want to try to start every prayer like that, that's an option. It's really hard because the, the hardest thing to do is to not come to God with all that we need to say. Here's what's happening to me. Here's what's happening in my world. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. And we begin just sort of spitting out our needs. We move to petition without going to praise. Now, David's prayers are really only um, starting, it only starts with praise every once in a while. David usually is like a, this big whiner. He gets up tattling on people and talking about how angry he is. David's prayers rarely start with praise. So if you want to start your prayers with praise, you're a hero, you can do it. But it's okay to start with complaining and whining. And, and, and uh, even though Jesus' prayer starts with praise, I think he's not meaning for us to get into that sort of adoration right away. Um, it's like the goal. The goal of prayer is to get to that place where we've emptied ourselves out, we've poured ourselves out, and we can pray. Praise God. We can turn our attention to him. And so... Uh, the, psalm, the Psalms themselves, if you, if you read it from cover to cover, 1 to 150, it's like this great ramp up of praise. There's a few Psalms of praise in book one, in book two, in book three, but the final four, final five Psalms are just full of praise. It's all about praise and music and praising God. Um, and it's like this great ramp up. And so I think that's what our lives are like too. We get into our prayer life and we need some time to ramp up into praise. Uh, but also our whole life, is like learning how to move from anxiety and realizing, okay, well, I'm starting to pray, but I'm praying a lot about myself, and they're kind of small. And we realize that the prayer life progresses. We begin to realize, oh, I'm just not all about me. There's other pain in the world too that we lift up into prayer. And then we realize how big the pain and the needs are in the world. And we realize, oh, God is a big God too. And we move from that 
uh, understanding to this idea of God being, it's like a progression. Praise is a progression. So I wanted to just help us out to understand that. If we're not great uh, praise masters by the end of this one sermon, it's okay. It's, it's a lifelong journey. Um, but here's what happens. When we start with praise, um, in our, when our prayer, Jesus' prayer centers around praise, when we start with praise, it starts out to be cheap, a cheap praise but it moves to costly praise. I'm going to just unpack that for us today, what cheap praise is and what costly praise is. And that will help us get into the inside of these words, I think. So here it is. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. What we're doing is we're linking up our identity with God. We're recognizing God's acts, especially in creation, and adoring God's character. So as you think about creating your own praises, maybe writing them down or learning to pray them in your hearts, um, these, two, these two prongs, God's character and his actions. You can almost categorize the whole psalm tradition of praise up into these two things. God, you are beautiful. God, here's what you've done for me. And we adore him. We adore his character through them. Uh, and throughout the rest of the psalms, you know, um, we, we get this sense that praise is an experience, okay? It's this experience, this internal experience of adoring God God's greatness, your understanding of his bigness kind of overtakes you and overwhelms you. And then you muster up the courage to speak about it. That's the key step here. You don't just get overwhelmed by God's bigness, but then you start having the courage. And it takes courage, like I said, to speak praise. Uh, And ultimately, here's what's happening. You feel deep inside of you that God is reliable, and then you're going to let him know about it. Okay? That's kind of the contours of what praise is about. And I'm going to be inviting you to think about what this looks like in your life. What we're going to do is we're going to do this through Psalm 145. It's near the end, so like I said, it's part of that great resounding culmination of praise in the scriptures. And it's David's last psalm in the, in the book of Psalms. Um, so let's get into this here. Um, so many... So many of David's, uh, like I said, psalms start with, with um, kind of complaining, but this one is just praise and praise all the way through. And in this psalm, in Psalm 145, he's going to start gushing over God, like gushing about God's character, gushing about God's actions. Um, great is your splendor. Great is your fame. God, I'm going to worship your righteousness. So let's, let's read through this psalm and think, really think about what it would feel like for you to, to make your own of praises here. So I will extol you, is how it begins. Extol, I will speak greatly of you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. I used to not like the I will bless you kind of psalms because it's like, well, don't do it in the future. Don't put it off. Like, bless him now. Like, why are you going to do it in the future? I was kind of annoyed by that. But then I began to realize that this isn't like, I'm putting this off until tomorrow. This is more like even what happens, no matter what happens in my life, no matter how it goes, I will, I promise to praise you. And so this is a promise David is making. Day by day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. David's trying to find words here. I can't even begin to search how big and great he is. One generation shall laud your work to another and declare your mighty acts. And you can see here, David's moved from the beginning. The subject of the sentence is I. 
still focus, even though he's talking about God's greatness, I will extol you, God. I will bless you. But then he moves in his heart from thinking about what he's going to do, and he turns his attention fully on God. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. It's a movement that, that's what praise is about. We move from that sense of who I am and what I'm giving to completely other. God, here's who you are and here's what you're about. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, he continues, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. And if anyone is still wondering if meditation is a Christian thing, here's David. I will meditate on your wondrous works, um, the things that we've heard about in your scriptures and the things that we can see in creation in front of us. I will meditate upon them. Um, and they're glorious. These are, these are good praise words. Majesty. The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed, and I will declare of your greatness. They shall celebrate the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And here's his great statements about God. Now, we do make statements about God. This is what the praise is about. God, here's who you are. Here's what you've done. And I've just compiled a little list of, throughout the Psalms of things that, um, characteristics and things people praise him for. So, Different psalmists call God king, the living Lord, the rock, the savior, great and worthy. Worthy is a great word of praise. Unfailing love. Your hand is filled with righteousness. You rule the people with equity. You are the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. I love that one. I mean, that's David knows down deep who God is and what he's about. He's the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. He rides across the heaven. He hears the needy. He does not despise captive people. He's filled with love and faithfulness. Most high, glory, great and worthy. Goodness and love endures forever. Just, I mean, the Psalms go on and on with this kind of language, inviting us to be trained up in this kind of praying. So often we just come to God, right, with our needs. This is a great way of praying. And trust me, friends, it's transformative. When I get into this kind of praying, I come out refreshed. I come out like renewed and excited about God. Um, this experience of a self-forgetting uh, into who God's character is, there's just nothing like the experience of it. Uh, so that was his, his characteristics, but here's another list of some of the psalmists. Uh, he's saved me from my enemies. He heard my cry. He spared me from death. He lifted me. He set my foot on a rock. He gave me a place to stand. He put new song in my mouth. Awesome deeds to mankind. He preserved our feet from slipping. Has not rejected our prayer. Has not withheld love. Daily bears our burdens. Marvelous deeds. He made us. He views the earth. He releases those who are condemned to death. His love endures. There's lots of reasons that these psalmists know to praise God for what he's done and how he's acted in this world. And as we do so, as we come into our own kind of praying, praying and praising, it's one of the hardest things because isn't it so easy to forget what God has done in our life? We move from one thing to the next and we forget. And we need to have these little testimonies. God, you brought us into Toronto through a storm and landed us safely and got out in the nick of time before the next storm came so that we could have some relief. Like we forget those things. I'll, I'll probably forget that in a month. Hopefully I'll remember it that long. That's why journaling and writing these things down is so important. We need to have these long lists. Here's what you've done so I can lift, lift my heart to praise you. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I love that David's psalm, the last one of his praise psalms, includes this because this is the heartbeat 
of praise. That God is steadfast and faithful in his love. Because we can experience so much rejection and so many people in our life who aren't steadfast, whose love is limited, who has a limit, which has a limit to it. Uh, but God's love is abounding and steadfast. And that's what we know at the center of his character, who he is. And we can, we can be so, our hearts can be so hurt and so wounded and so resistant to this idea. Uh, but the psalmist, the whole tradition proclaims that this is his defining characteristic, abounding and steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give you thanks, O Lord, and your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. This little phrase here is all I'll highlight with this verse. Um, to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor. Um, sorry up here as well, and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks. If you're struggling to know how to praise, if you're struggling to know what to come up with in your mind when you want to give your prayer of praise, the psalmists regularly go back to creation, experiences in creation, experiences next to a mighty mountain or in a massive snowstorm. God, your love is like the worst snowstorm in Toronto in 20 years. I don't know what that what that's like. But what are your experiences with the bigness of creation that makes you feel like a tiny little dot? Is it looking up at the stars? Is it going out to Kekabeka to see the falls? Is it um, going out on a canoe on Lake Superior? Like, What is it that makes you feel so small? And the psalmist regularly go back to those memories and start using those as metaphors. God, you're like that. I feel like you're like that. And that's a wonderful way to use... Um, Use praise. Now, if you haven't ever been out in creation in a place that makes you feel awe, this is, what, this, is, this is where I say, maybe that's why it's hard for you to praise God. We need, we need that, that physical, physical experience. So uh, within the next year, can you plan an adventure to one of the most awe-inspiring places around you. Some people say, Keith, where do you want to travel next? I'm like, I'm still in Thunder Bay. Like, I'm still exploring everywhere around here. And there's so much even around here that evokes that sense of awe in us. So go to Silver Falls or go, go over to the, the Nor'westers or go somewhere and do it as an active way to try to stoke up some praise by comparing the, the largeness. Um, so moving on. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. See, David just gushes here. He's just, oh, it's, it's, so much is coming out of him. Uh, your, your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. And there's this part, all who are bowed down. Praise oftentimes brings with it an embarrassing smallness factor. Makes us feel kind of puny compared to the greatness of God. And that's okay. We're not sort of diminishing ourselves in that way. We're just putting ourselves in our rightful posture. He's bowing before God, even though it may feel embarrassing or feel small, is the, is the most natural way to, to praise him. So sometimes some of you may need to go in home and make sure no one's around if, if you need that and do some bowing. Bow down before God and let some praises out. The eyes of all who look to you 
You give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. This is where I sort of ask the question in my mind. Can, can you praise God when you're not feeling it? When you're not feeling like he's given him food in due season and that his hand is closed to you and that he's not satisfying. I mean, you're part of every living thing. This is a promise to you. He's going to satisfy your desires. But what, what if I don't feel that way? Or what if it's not happening in my time or in my way? Um, and if you read across the Psalms, there is this sense that David struggles to praise God when things are going poorly. Um, it's, it's not a shameful thing to struggle with praise when things aren't going the way that we like. It's almost like there, there's this connection um, that some of the psalmists make. God, would you give me joy in my heart so I can praise you? Because without that joy, my heart is turned in on itself and like crumpled up. Give me joy. But there are a few little glimmers of psalms that help us realize that even in our joylessness, even in our disappointments, praise can happen. Uh, Psalm 42 is a great example. I don't know if you remember this one. This is the, as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs for you. It's a great psalm of disappointment, actually. It's not someone who's feeling it. The, the temple has been destroyed. Uh, they're not able to go with the, the community to worship anymore. Why, my soul, are you so downcast, is the psalmist's question to itself. Why are you so downcast within me? Lift up your eyes for you. You will again praise God, is how it, how, it's how it goes. And so even when you're not feeling it, you still might be able to offer a kind of praise which goes, God, I'm not feeling it right now, but I, I will feel it again. I will hope again, and my hope is in you. And so if you're not feeling praise, the prayer saying to God, God, my hope is still in you, is a kind of praise that really is a balm to the soul. God, I can't feel it. I'm, I'm confused, but my hope is in you still. That's, that's a very Davidic kind of prayer. So it invites you to, to write that one down. You're going to need it. Um, Jesus... Jesus, of course, on the cross, when he's dying, is praying a psalm. And it's not a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of anguish. Why have you forsaken me, God? But there is a little bit in that psalm. You, no matter what, even if I'm not feeling it, even if I'm strung up on a cross and dying to save the world, I will yet praise you, says the psalmist. So even though there is this biblical connection between joy and praise, and if we're not feeling it, we may not be able to get our hearts to praise. There's still something leading us forward to put our hope in God. Um, so uh, I would invite you to, to join in with that, that whole stream of biblical thinking. Now to finish this off, Psalm 145, the Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord. All flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. There it is, his holy name. In Jesus' prayer, our Father, or in heaven, holy is your name. He's getting that from somewhere. He's pulling all of those examples in the Psalms together. Now, I wish I had more time to really unpack all of these beautiful, rich, 
Like this is like a marathon of praise. And if you were able in your heart to sustain actual authentic praise for this long, you'd be a hero. <laughs> that's, a lot, that's hard to do. Um, to, to really feel all of these things and to be able to courageously say them to God. Well, my invitation is to you to, to try. try. Try what you can because praise is a healing action. So here's an example. So he's talking about the building blocks. We've opened the drawer of praise that Jesus has, has constructed inside are all of these wonderful building blocks. And here's just a couple, again, to recap in the psalm. Here how, here's how David puts it together. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Can you think of praying something like that? Can you write down a praise like that and make it yours? The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. Same. The eyes of all who look to you the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desires of every living thing. You too, friends, can pray like this and um, I invite you to. So here's a couple of points and I'm going to move on to one final sort of important point in praise. Um, when you sit down in your prayer life, whether it's at the beginning, whether it's at the middle, whether it's the end, include praise. Um, sometimes you can imagine yourself with like a cloud. I can't see God, he's above the cloud, but I'm going to lift up some words of adoration through the cloud to him. You forget yourself in it. Um, try creation themes. Try to make some metaphors off of the creation experiences that you've had. Um, and work on the sense that God is reliable. Praise comes from that deep-seated sense that, you know what, God, you are reliable. And if you don't believe that, or if you struggle with that, I would invite you to pray and to journal and to do everything you can to ask God to help you be convinced that he's reliable. Um, he is. He's a reliable God that we can trust on and lean in. And um, life, life um, in him doesn't always work out the way we want, but it works out. And so that's, that's, what, that's what we trust in. Um, one final point here, and then a story. This kind of praise up until this point, I would say, can be cheap. It can cost us nothing. We can sit in our room and say, say all the lovely, adoring things about God as possible, but it still is just sort of internal. And if you read the psalmic tradition, the psalmic tradition read the Psalms and its tradition of praise, and if you get your mind into Jesus' prayer, you're going to realize pretty soon that it's a costly kind of prayer because praising is never only, it never only ends privately. It always moves to the public sphere, always moves to a place where we're exposed, always moves us to a risky spot where if you really believe these things about God, we're just, we can't help but put them out into the public world. And then it becomes costly. And I'll, I'll invite you to think about this. A praise which is always internal and never public, is, there's no power to that kind of praise. There's no real power to that. But when you link up praise to your public expression of, of praise, that's where the real power comes. That's where when you are willing to costly give over yourself publicly to God in praise, that's when we begin feeling its effects. Uh, and so here's the thing. Praise music in the assembly. 
I mean, the psalm that we just read, the might of your awesome deeds will be proclaimed and I will declare of your greatness. Proclaiming and declaring is not a private thing. It's something that we do so others can hear it. Psalm 68.5 just hits one little example of this in all of the psalms. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. We have to do this together and in a way where other people see us. And that sometimes can be embarrassing. Well, you know, we, I, I, come, I come to, to church or to the great assembly. That, this is the great assembly here today. We're part of a little small expression of the whole thing. Coming here today, you know, and you sit with your thumbs crossed, you can see, you know, your thumbs twiddling and, and you're praising God inside of you. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you that when you begin to express costly praise publicly is when you begin to feel its effects. And... Uh, David is constantly asking us to be this, kind, this vulnerable in this way. Um, linking up our identities with God. Didn't think of Jesus' prayer, our Father who art in heaven. If we're going to link our identity with God, that's going to be a risky thing. Because what, what's, what's he about? He's about facing down darkness and undoing evil in a costly way. If we hitch ourselves to God with our, and our Father, that's going to cost us something. So every time you sit down and pray, our Father who art in heaven, and, and move past it quickly and forget the fact that, oh, when I say my, our Father, I'm putting myself into a, a risky business. Um, recognizing God's actions and character in public is risky. It always is because people in the world don't like a God who's bigger and more powerful than them. And if you start to tell, talk about that and proclaim that and to worship like that, that's going to be risky. And he, he asks us not to hide our adoration of him and our feelings that he is reliable. So our Father in heaven, this is not really like a daddy prayer. That's a very risky prayer. It's about Exodus and Messiah. Our Father, where does that word Father come from? It comes from uh, way back in Exodus. I have fathered a nation from whom I will rescue out of the hands of evil. And Jesus is God's son. The great expectation of Messiah. This is revolutionary speak. Our father is revolutionary speak. It's about freedom and revolution. And if we pray this prayer and we really understand it, what we're doing is we're signing ourselves up for daily confrontation with the world around us. Confronting the darkness. Um, let's see, yeah, one more. So here's, here, here's it. I'm going to finish this, this in a story. Uh, what, what, what should we go and do there for? I've, I've invited you to pray the prayers of prayer, prayers of praise in your personal devotion. That's good. Do that. Um, but let's do it as a community. That's what we're here to do. Um, and we're going to do that with music, and we're going to do that in community, and we're going to do it in public. Now, here's the thing. I'm not asking you to get weird. <laughs> like... Some, sometimes, sometimes Christians can read this and they can get a little weird <laughs> with how they express their praise to God publicly. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, I mean, there are, there are other churches in town you can go to and you can find that. And that's not what I'm asking for here. I don't think that's necessarily what this means. What I'm saying is when someone walks through the door who doesn't know God, and if we hope that through this experience, they say the living God is among those people. What that looks like is probably them coming in, seeing a group of people singing their hearts out. 
um, not reservedly. Uh, I'm, not even, I'm not even saying you need to raise your hands, but if you want to raise your hands and expose yourself publicly, I went through a whole phase, a whole season of my spiritual life where I would do everything that I could do to be exposed. On my university campus, I felt God was asking me to kneel down in the mud and the, in the snow on the side of the walkway in the middle of class, class transition where everyone's walking and to, to, to just sit down and pray. And I did that for like two years straight. Anytime I felt him asking me to do that, I'd expose myself. I was part of a bigger church before uh, in my college years. I would always go to the front to the altar. Like there's something about being obedient to being exposed like dot, dot, just does wonders. I'm not saying you have to do that. Maybe for you, exposing yourself is simply just singing a bit louder. <laughs> um, and, and not being ashamed of who hears you. Maybe for some of you, that's other things. Uh, I'm not saying get weird, but I am saying that if someone walks in the door and they see a bunch of people not really feeling it, they're going to go, well, do they really even believe in a good God? But if they see a group of people singing their hearts out and publicly in that way as a group declaring their praise, I guarantee every time there'll be someone who walks through the doors who will leave going, something's different and God is there. It may not happen right away. Um, but declare God's glory with music, in community, in public. You can do it. Uh, that's what this praise is about. And when you do so, when you're sitting in your seat there, uh, I don't know, it was maybe five or six years ago where this dawned upon me, where I can stand there and sing my heart out and I can start losing my sense of self and I can turn my eyes to God and start telling him things like, your name is lovely, you are awesome, you are good. Father, your love is unsearchable. And when I did that, something happened inside of me, something healing and something refreshing. I think it's the most healing things that we can do in this whole world is to be with a group of people worshiping God and telling him how lovely he is. Try it. I, I, I really recommend it, if you can't tell. Um, have your dependency upon him exposed. Be, become a student of his steadfast love. What does God's steadfast love feel and look like? His reliability, come to know it. Um, delight in our smallness and God's majesty. And here's, here's the thing in the end. Hitch your dreams to God. And um, brace yourself when you do to face darkness. It will happen. That's what this whole deal is about. Uh, God is with us. He's, he's strong to protect us and heal us and to bind us up along the way and to be with us even when we get battered and bruised from it all. Final story, I'll be done. David. It's one of my favorite stories of David. The, the ark of God that Moses and the Israelites carried around thousands, hundreds of years before David. Um, was filled with three things. It was filled with the tablets on from Mount Sinai, you know, Charlton Heston with the big tablets. Tablets were in there. Uh, the rod, of the, the stick which bloomed out of nowhere without any roots. Um, oh, help me out. What's the third one? And the manna, thank you. The jar of manna um, that God rained from heaven to, to the bread which he gave from heaven to, pr to provide for his people. This was, these were symbols for Israel that God is with you, God is steadfast. Now, by David's time, when he became king, the ark had been part of the Philistine, like it had been uh, lost to the Philistines. Saul had won it back. Um, it was 
sitting in a little city outside of Jerusalem. You could see the city from Jerusalem, but it was just sitting there for 30 years. It's kind of sitting. And, and any time anytime anything bad happened or would happen to this place where the ark was laying, like favor would happen and the good things would result. It was like this favor existed around this ark. And so David said, I'm going to set up my kingdom now in Jerusalem. And it's not going to be my kingdom. I'm not going to be king. I'm just going to be prince. God's going to be king in my kingdom. And so let's bring it back to show who the true Lord is, who the true king is, and we're going to worship him. And so they build this Philistine ox cart with wheels. And they put the ark on it. And David comes out, and he's just dancing unashamedly. He's got instruments and there's music happening and people are wailing happily and they're moving down the road and the ox cart hits like a stone and, and the ark starts to fall and this poor guy named Uzzah reaches up to steady it and God immediately kills him. It's one of the hardest stories in the scriptures to explain. Uh, so David's angry. He's like, this was my party, God. I was bringing you into Jerusalem and you had to like, you had to just get all fussy or whatever, you know, like, why did you ruin my day? And so David goes off and the ark goes to another city. And then David finally is like, no, I want God's presence um, in, in the city. So he goes back and this time, instead of putting it on the, the Philistine ox cart, they, they did it like God had meant it to, to be originally. There were rings, golden rings, and they put, two poles to the rings and one dude carried it from the back and another dude carried it from the front. And they've, they, they carried... Now, by the way, I'm just going to address this a little bit. Oh, I've gone on long today. I'm sorry. I'm going to address this a little bit. Why did Uzzah get killed? Because religion can be a dangerous thing. When, when, we, when we link ourselves up to God, it can be a dangerous business. Um, but this is, the story is... I don't think about God being testy and him being just willfully willing to kill people. This, is, this story tells us about the danger of trying to control God. The danger of trying to be too religious about it all. This person has, you know, Uzzah is, is a person who, who in their whole life is, hasn't dared at all um, to wrestle with God. But they just want to control God. They want to define God. They want to put God in a box and control, and control the whole religious thing. And that kind of religiosity is deadly, the scriptures tell us. That will just rot our hearts from the inside out. But David is the counterexample. David is the one who knows he can't control God. He can't keep God in a box. He can't sort of define God in his little thing and then reject him if it doesn't fit in the little box. David's lived in the wilderness, dependent upon God for many, many years. He knows that God is way bigger than him. And he learned uh, early on to live daringly open to God's presence. And so as we do so, we recognize that's the kind of way God asks us to follow him, with daring, with openness. And as we do so, we follow David's example, who comes in dancing in his underwear, ultimately, into Jerusalem, so happy that God is with him, so happy that God is going to be worshipped and his name is going to be worshipped in Jerusalem. And, and David's wife, Mike, Michael, sees him from the balcony and she just despises him in her heart. 
She comes up to David and says, oh, how nice you were dancing half naked before the servant girls. <laughs> and, and Michael and Uzzah have something in common. Uh, despising anyone who would be a little embarrassed to show that they're dependent on God and they love God. David is our example through all of this. And David gets so testy with Michael. He says, oh, uh, who are you? You're Saul's daughter who God rejected and I got put on the throne. He said, you know all those servant girls? They know that I was worshiping the living God. I was doing it for him and not you, not them. And they will adore me for it. Um, It's sort of a poor ending to that story. (laughs) Anyway, all this Iron Age drama, back to today. God is asking us to be courageous in our praise and uh, asking us to adore the living God. Um, now, I'm not going to judge you f- for the next two songs if you just sit, sit back. You, you do what you need to do to be courageous. Uh, and, some, and, and that may take some time for some of you. And that's okay. And you may be hurt by praise and worship and all this. Um, but I would invite you over the next little bit here, in the next many month, weeks and months, to think about what praise could look like in your prayer life. And as we come as a community week after week, declaring the kingship of of our Lord and declaring his majesty. Join in with the great proclamation of his kingship. And as you do so, as you forget yourself, I'd invite you to experience his healing and his power as he ministers into our hearts. So friends, um, we come up after all of this and put some bread in the juice and we take take it into ourselves as an act of praise to say, uh, we remember, Jesus, what you've done for us, that you made yourself um, fully naked and embarrassed yourself unimaginably on a cross to show your devotion and your allegiance to the living God. And that's the one that we choose to follow day after day, week after week, in our routine, in our daily life. So uh, whatever this means for you, I invite you guys to respond today to the living God table is set here and everyone is welcome.